you guys can flip to page 21 in your notebook. And uh, before you guys get there, or as you get there, uh, just a quick few comments. One, I'm really glad group dates are happening. That's an awesome thing. If you have to tell a girl's room that you're asking him, though, <laughs> like, but it was creative, but if you have to tell them you're asking, you guys are better than that, man. That's all I'm saying. You're better than that. No, it's creative. I'm really glad that you guys are going on the group day. It's fun to watch you guys come up with creative ideas. All right, so, so you guys should be on page 21, and the title is New Wine. New Wine. You're like, what the heck is New Wine? Can you even talk about this? We're in a church. Okay. Yeah, we are. So... Uh, three weeks ago now, we looked at this idea of who God is and who we are. Then two weeks ago, we spent the whole time unpacking who Jesus is. And then last week, Lucas and Ari showed us that this picture of marriage, and marriage is actually a picture of what the gospel is. And not only is marriage a picture of what the gospel is, but we were actually made and designed for a relationship with God, which is unbelievable. Like, Lucas and Ari did an awesome job helping us understand those realities. So... Where we're going now is, what exactly do we do? So we have this message that we've talked about. We've talked about God. We've talked about man. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about how this plays out in relationships. But now what? Like, what's next? Like, we talked a few weeks ago at the very beginning. Like, we're going to hit play, and then we're going to hit rewind, and then we're going to hit slow motion, and walk through the gospel. But now that we've walked through the gospel, what's next? And that's kind of where we're at today with New Wine. I'm going to unpack what that is here in a minute. But... I want to start with a clip. Um, I think this clip kind of summarizes kind of where we're at, and I think what a lot of Christianity would tell you is next. Like, now you have the gospel, so what's next? I'm going to show you guys a clip from Saving Private Ryan. How many of you guys have seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay, good. Um, for those of you who haven't seen Saving, Saving Private Ryan, this scene will kind of uh, explain itself, but essentially... You have one of the main characters in the story. His name is Captain John Miller. And he's leading this crew to go save Private Ryan. Okay? Private Ryan has been in the war. And three of his brothers have already been killed. So because three of his brothers have already been killed. Like just out of like for the sake of his family. They're like you have to go take him off the front lines. Out of war. Save him. So that he can be back with his family. Like, his whole family shouldn't die in the war, okay? So that's what's going on in the scene. You get to this really powerful clip. And uh, so we're going to roll the clip. And there's actually, like, there's two clips I want you guys to see. But there's, like, this awkward gap in between. So you can just go back to back. Does that make sense? They're not very long.
so some of the parts are a little bit hard to hear, but you, the first clip, you see Tom Hanks' character, and he's, he's Captain John Miller. He's the one that's going in to save Ryan. And then you see Ryan kind of looking down at him, and his final words to him, the guy who just saved him, is he, you couldn't really hear it, I don't know if you guys caught it, but he said, earn this, earn this. And then you flash forward and they did like a reverse Benjamin Button thing where he actually gets older and you're like, what just happened? Uh, now that Ryan gets old, right, and he's standing at uh, Captain John Miller's tombstone and he's contemplating his life. And he's standing before uh, John Miller's tombstone and he said, I still remember what you told me on the bridge to earn it. And I just have to wonder, like, did I do enough? And then he called his wife over and he said, was I good enough? Did I do enough? And yet, I think this is what subtly the church can tell us is what's next after the gospel. Like, now you need to go get it. Now go get it. Now go earn it. Like, you've heard the gospel, but now you go earn it. Now you go do it. And, and so as we talk today about this idea of new wine, I want us just to sit one more week in this idea of grace. Because we don't earn it. We never could earn it. The, the answer to his question at the end of his life, did he do enough? The answer is no. And that's going to be the answer for all of us. None of us will have done enough. Because God's standards perfection. None of us can earn it. And so what do we do? What do we do? And that's where we're at today. And uh, so I have a quote for you guys. I think I, I have it for you. So stay with me. I'm going to explain it in a second. But just kind of follow along as I read it. The Reformation was the time when men went blind, staggering drunk, because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace, bottle after bottle of pure distilled distillation of Scripture. One sip would convince you that any one of God's, anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The word of the gospel after all those centuries of trying to lift yourself up into heaven by worrying about perfection of your bootstraps suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved were home before they started. Grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness, not flowers that bloom in the spring of super spirituality could be allowed to enter into the case. Okay, so what I, I love this quote, and the idea is we can't add anything to the gospel. Nothing. We don't come bringing anything into the gospel. It has to be taken straight. We drink the gospel, all that it is, straight as it is, and it's the best drink we could ever have. That's what the gospel is. And uh, one more place. If you guys, you guys don't have to turn there, but Mark uh, 2.22, I don't think I put it up there. But in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this. He said, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So even Jesus, as he's coming onto the scene, and he's unpacking this idea and starts to help them understand who he is, he's saying that there's new wine, and you don't put new wine into old wineskins. What I'm going to give you is something different and way better, and that is the gospel. It's way different and way better than you can ever imagine. And so tonight, before we keep moving on, we're going to talk and aim specifically in on grace. So, as we're going there, I just want, we've been studying Ephesians, right? And grace has already come up a number of times, so I just want you guys to see it. I think I have a slide here. 
you probably can't see the blue, but uh, Ephesians 1, 6, Ephesians 1, 7, and then Ephesians 2, 5, 2, 7, and 2, 8. So just listen to this. There are other places in Ephesians, but this is what we've already looked at. In 1, 6, it says, To the praise of his glorious grace, by which he's blessed us in the beloved. So he says, glorious grace. And then Ephesians 1, 7, does someone have it memorized? I know it's on the screen, but does someone like, can they say it? Someone's got it. Yeah. The riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Okay? What is that? What's the riches of his grace? What about Ephesians 5, 2, 5 through 8? Someone got that? You can start in verse 4 if you want. That's the best transition. Does anyone have it? Man, these are unbelievable passages to memorize, you guys. Okay, so, starting in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So in there, over and over and over, we see this idea of grace. By grace, in verse 5, the riches of his grace. By grace you have been saved. And this is only in chapter 2, and we see grace over and over and over again. But what do we mean by grace? And still, what do we do? That still doesn't answer the question. And the answer is, we don't leave grace. We don't leave grace, and we never leave the gospel. Like, if you want, like, the quick answer, like, we're going to spend time unpacking this whole idea. But the answer is, we don't leave the gospel. We don't leave grace. We sit in it. Actually, uh... One of uh, the guys who was on staff with us, his name was Matt Reagan. I remember being in your guys' seat as a room leader uh, one of my first summers. And uh, he kind of got to this point in the theme training. And he said, so now what? What do you do? Like, what's next? I'm like, nice. Fine. Dude's going to speak my language. Like, let's go. And uh, he said, you know, like in a science room when they have, like, those eyewash stations? But by, like, the eyewash station, they have, like, this lever you can pull. And he said, what you do is you pull it. You pull the lever of grace and you let it rain down on you. You just let it shower you. Let his grace wash over you. That is the gospel. That's how we walk forward in the gospel. And that's, again, what we're going to do tonight. So before I pray, I just want to read one more quote by David Mathis because this is, this is good. It says this. So grace that is cheap, thin, and shallow will not suffice. What the Christian desperately needs what the world desperately needs is the true grace of God in all its lushness and texture to drink it in, to be fed by it, to be changed by it, to swim across it, to dive in it. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. God, I know my heart. It's easy to think, now what do I do? Um, I got to go get it. I got to go earn it. And suddenly that's what I believed growing up in the church. And yet that's not the gospel. We can't add to it. The gospel has to be taken straight. We can't add any of our good deeds. It was never about what we could do. It's about what you done or you have done. So God, I pray that you help us walk forward in this grace. Even tonight we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So tonight what I want to do is I want to go to three different places. So what is grace? What does grace do? And what does grace feel like? What is grace? What does grace do? And what does it feel like? So, uh, John.
John Piper has this quote. Don't try to write it down. I can give you guys all my notes and quotes if you guys want it, but John Piper says this. So he's talking specifically about gospel grace, and he says this. Grace is a rich word, a vast reality with many layers of meaning in the New Testament. I'm not talking about all of them. Every time the word grace is used, it carries a different meaning. But the most foundational use it does, I'm talking about the most foundational meaning, the one at the bottom, and the deepest, most radical meaning. So that's the grace I'm talking about. When we talk about defining grace, all of today is what is gospel grace, what does gospel grace do, and what does gospel grace feel like? So there's future grace that we're going to hope in, which has already been talked about a little bit in Ephesians. There's common grace that we could talk about, but today we're going to talk about what's at the core of the gospel, which is gospel grace. Does that make sense? That's what I'm defining when I talk about grace. <clears throat> so here's how we're going to define it. We're going to define it in four different ways. Grace is a gift. It is free. It is unmerited. And it is costly for the giver and compels the follower. So that's how we're going to define it. I'm going to unpack each one real quick, but grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. So in Ephesians 2.8, we've already looked at it. Is it a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast? And then Ephesians 4.7 says the same thing. But grace is given to us as a gift, meaning we're on the receiving end of this thing. And remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at the pronouns in chapter 1, <clears throat> that we just receive. Like God's the one acting over and over and over again. We're the ones who receive. And that's what this is. That's what grace is. It's a gift that's given to us. And not only is it given to us, but it's free. It's free. Like, say, even saying that it's free just makes it better. Like, even in college ministry, it's like, if we give you guys free food, it's better, right? Uh, who's the guy at Okies that did, like, the um, call the confession? What's his name? Jeremy. Jeremy. Even Jeremy was sharing this last week. He's like, my kids, when we, we go to Costco... They're excited because they know they're going to get free samples. And his son, who's five, said, Dad, like, why are you bringing your wallet? Everything's free. <laughs> That's what he thinks about Costco because they pass out samples. And the reality is grace is free. Like, we don't do anything. We don't bring anything to the table. It's given to us. So not only is it a gift, but it's a free gift, which leads to the third thing, but it's unmerited. So again, just off of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. We can't earn it. It has to be given to us. And it's not dependent on anything we can do. That's what makes us the best news in the world. So it's a gift. It's free. It's unmerited. There's nothing we can do. And then finally, we're going to spend a little bit more time here in number four. But it's costly for the giver and compels us to follow. And this is what I mean. So, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this idea of cheap grace. Um, and this is what he says about it. I don't, did I put this on there, Anthony? I don't remember. No? Okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he covers this idea of cheap grace. And he says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism, without church discipline, communion, without confession, absolution, without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. 
So even today, like there's an idea of grace that isn't fully trusting in grace. Like grace is only grace. When we talk about the idea of gospel grace, if it includes Jesus. Like grace apart from Jesus, like we're talking about something different. We're talking about gospel grace tonight. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer hits on this idea that in the church, there's this idea of uh, cheap grace that doesn't include sin, doesn't include repentance, and essentially wipes out the cross. That's not grace. Like, grace was really costly. In fact, it cost God His only Son. Like, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for, for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Grace was costly, but it wasn't costly to us. It was costly to God. He gave up His Son. So, that type of grace compels us to follow Him. Like grace that's free, grace that's unmerited, grace that's a gift, grace that invites us in, is grace that we want to follow. <clears throat> Matthew, uh, I was going to put this in here. Matthew 13, 44 <clears throat> says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in all his joy, he goes and sells all, all that he has to buy the field. This is what grace does. Like It compels us towards something. Like God's grace is so good that the man sells everything he has to get this field. And this is what grace does. So I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking about grace from Jesus that cost Jesus his life. And this is the gospel. This is the grace that we're talking about. <clears throat> so what does grace do? What does gospel grace do? What does it do? There's, there's a lot that can be said here in what it does, but <clears throat> I just want to give you guys a few ideas. Gospel grace frees us to love, even when it's hard. Gospel grace frees us to love, even when it's hard. My guess is by this point in the summer, someone in your room has done something that's bothered you. Maybe there's someone in your room who hits the snooze button starting at like 6. And they just snooze all the way up to 7.45. Maybe there's someone in your room who you just don't get along with. Like someone, like if we were just to be honest, you guys just don't get along. Like you guys would clash. You don't have shared interests. This guy or girl is just way different from you. And you just can't get along with them. Or maybe there's someone in your room this summer who's just super messy. And the worst part about it is they won't do their dishes. Right? Maybe there's someone like that in your room. And the reality is, this type of grace frees us to love them, even when it's hard. Because we realize what we've been given in Christ, and that bends out towards other people. So, gospel grace that's received vertically bends out horizontally. And that's not to say it's going to be easy. That's not to say it's going to be fun. That's not to say it won't come without hard conversations. But that's what gospel grace does. Gospel grace changes our hearts so we can be more loving towards other people. Not only does gospel grace free us to love even when it's hard, second thing is it frees us to forgive even when we don't want to. It frees us to forgive even when we don't want to. And again, I can share and make up conflict and stories <clears throat> about how maybe this is played out in your room, but the reality is um, 
when we think about forgiveness and this idea of the gospel, like we've been forgiven of every single sin of ours, which makes it so much easier to ask for forgiveness for yourself and to forgive other people when they've wronged you. And I know that so many arguments, it can be like, dude, this dude is like 99% wrong. Like I'm 99% in the right here and he's coming at me with my 1%. Like that's how it can feel. Like in a moment when you're in an argument or when you're thinking about something, you're like, I'm not even in the wrong here. Like this other person, they were the one that messed up and they're coming at me like I did something wrong. And even in that moment, you can own the 1%, which the reality is, it's probably not 1%, right? There's probably more there, like, there's probably more going on in your heart. But you can even own that 1%. And you can, you can take that, um, and it allows you to forgive them and to ask for forgiveness. So, gospel grace frees us to love. It frees us to forgive. And then three, gospel grace transforms us. Gospel grace transformed us. So this is what we're talking about. Like, what's next? How did this whole thing work? Like, we walk forward in the gospel, and the gospel transforms our life. And as we look to Christ, and as he transforms us, things naturally happen. Our lives will naturally start to change. I remember, uh, I don't know who, someone can correct me or yell something out, but I remember there's an analogy that some guy had about a tree. And... Trees bear fruit, right? That's how you know a tree is alive, by bearing fruit. But he said, it would be ridiculous if you went up to a tree, or you were coloring a tree. Let's just say you were coloring a tree, because it would make more sense. And uh, to show that it was alive, you just stapled apples to an apple tree. You'd be like, dude, Mitch, what are you doing, man? Like, you don't staple apples to an apple tree. Like, that's totally backwards. But yet, so often, this is what we try to do in the Christian life. We try to staple fruit onto our life rather than letting it grow naturally from the roots. And the roots are the gospel. Like that's how a tree grows, is down from the roots, down from what's feeding and watering, and out comes fruit. You don't focus on the fruit. You focus on growing, and that just happens. That's a byproduct. So it is with the Christian life. Like this gospel, this gospel grace is actually what transforms us, actually what's we, what we walk in as a believer. Does that make sense? Like, we don't focus on the fruit, we focus on the gospel, and out of it comes growth. Which is, I think, what a lot of you are starting to experience even this summer. And I'm excited. One of my favorite times about this summer is actually the staff are leaving this week, if you guys didn't know that. <clears throat> and a couple of you guys have already come up to me like, man, why do staff have to leave? It's going to be so terrible. And it's not, I promise. Like, actually, most people's favorite time is when staff leave. Not because they hate the staff. But we come back and we get to hear stories of God's grace in your life and how he worked the whole summer. And we get to come back and we just get to hear what happened. Like, what did God do? And it's by his grace, by this gospel grace that transforms you guys. And I get so excited. Like, I, I actually long to come back to you guys at the end of July and hear what the Lord's done in your heart. And I'm excited to leave, to come back, to hear what that's going to be like. And excited for what he's already done. So... We talked about what gospel grace is. We talked about what gospel grace does. Now, what does gospel grace feel like? What does gospel grace feel like? Grace is one of those words and terms that, again, can be thrown around in Christian circles. But if you actually had to, like, think about it or describe it, I just wonder, like, what, what would you say? Like, how would you describe grace? Or maybe, like, a better way to put it, uh, 
I had a guy in a seminary class once. He was telling me that anytime you're preaching, you should speak to the lowest common denominator in the room. So don't try to talk like you're talking to like the other seminary students in the room, but try to communicate in a way that anyone can understand it. Because if anyone can understand it, then everyone can understand it. And so uh, if you had to explain grace to, to William, if you had to walk up to him and help him like just wrestle with this concept, like how would you do it? And so what I try to do as we end tonight with this idea of what does grace feel like is... I came up with like four things that I think grace feels like. And a couple of them might seem kind of goofy. And I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. Like after I share my four, I want you guys to try to personify grace. Like if you had to talk about like what does grace actually feel like, if you had to put legs on grace, like what would it look like? And that's what I'm trying to do here at the end. Uh, So number one, gospel grace feels like a brand new puppy. So I got a quick puppy video. You gotta see it. gospel grace is like a brand new puppy okay so even as you guys watch that video it's like you guys are all smiling and beaming like how many of you guys just just be honest like like watching puppy videos like if I were to pull up your YouTube it'd be like puppy videos would be on the right that's right me Uh, and yet this is what the gospel grace is and yet it's even better so when you see a puppy you think oh my gosh they're so cute they're cuddly And you want more and more and more of a puppy. It's like you can't get enough of the puppy, right? And yet, this is what grace is. Gospel grace is irresistible. It never gets old. It never gets old. You want more and more and more of it. And yet, at the end of a hard day, you know it's wagging its tail ready for you? Gospel grace. And yet, at the end of a good day, what's waiting for you, wagging its tail, excited is gospel grace to meet you. So that was just one way that I was thinking about grace. I was like, it's like a puppy. But yet it's better. It's better than a puppy. Like a puppy doesn't even describe it. Uh, but number two, um, this one might, I'm going to have to explain it. But I have another video to, to help us out. But 
But what does gospel grace feel like? It feels like bubble wrap or bubble soccer. So roll the clip. when I say bubble wrap or bubble soccer, the reality with grace is grace is safe. Like gospel grace is so incredibly safe. Like, can you just imagine like if we truly believed how safe gospel grace was and like we believe that we had like this protective bubble that couldn't be popped. um, It would change like how we view people. It would change like how we lived our lives because we wouldn't be so controlled about trying to make people laugh, trying to make people like us, caring so much what people think about us. Like, we're covered in gospel grace. Think about our shame, our guilt, and our sins. Like, we're completely covered by His grace. Like, what would that cause us to do? Like, the thing about, like, has anyone played bubble soccer? Like, you don't even play soccer. You just start running full speed at each other, trying to knock each other down. Because you know you're not going to get hurt, and you're going to bounce back up. And yeah, this is what grace does. Like, we can run hard and we can bump into each other. And that's not saying there won't be pain and hurts and bumps and bruises, but we bounce back up. Because we have gospel grace. And that's what gospel grace feels like. That was the second thing it made me think of. The third thing I don't have a, a video for, but I think you guys can all relate to this. Number three would be, what does gospel grace feel like? It feels like the day after finals. Yeah. I got like an amen of the size there. The day after finals, when you know you just turned in your last assignment, you just submitted that final paper, you took your final test, and you don't even care how it went, right? You're just like, it's in the books, and I don't even care. Like, grades, who cares? As long as I passed, it doesn't even matter. And in that moment, you're free from stress, and you're free to rest. And I think... Gospel grace gives us incredible freedom and incredible rest. Like, the moment after you take that last final and you know what's in front of you is a two-hour Netflix show and 14 hours of sleep. Like, but the gospel gives you better rest and better freedom. But that, like, feeling there, like, starts to scratch that surface. Like, of being done, being completed, and yet the gospel's even better. Gospel grace is even better. And then number four, this is where we're going to end. What does gospel grace feel like? It feels like a never-ending hug. A never-ending hug. And I I have a clip here. Before you roll it, Anthony. uh, So this is from Goodwill Hunting. Who's seen Goodwill Hunting? Okay, so there's... I tried to edit out some inappropriate lines, but... uh, I guess, like, you guys are... I don't even really need to unpack this situation, but what I want you guys to do is just watch the interaction between uh, these two characters and and this is what grace feels like and it's even better so roll it
not your fault. No, not you. It's not your fault. And she gives like these giant bear hugs. And what? Adventure Tom. Adventure Tom, yeah. There we go. Just gives these giant bear hugs. And, and that's the kind of hug I'm talking about. Like that hug in that, in that picture. But it's a hug that communicates it's okay. It's okay. Like it's a hug that communicates I'm never going to leave you. And that's why it's never ending. Like it's just there all the time. Like I'm not going to leave you. I'm here for you. And this is what gospel grace does. This is what gospel grace says. These are some of the amazing promises we have in God's word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's all over and over and over again. But the reality is what the clip didn't highlight, uh, in Goodwill Hunting he says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And yet, in the gospel, God says, it is your fault. And I still love you. Because I sent Jesus. Which makes it even better. Like, you can't measure up. You can't come to me. Yet, I'm going to send Jesus to come to you, and it's a never-ending hug. And it's a firm kind, not the awkward kind. And that's what gospel grace feels like. But now I want to turn it over to you guys. So I just gave you guys four from Reed's mind. But I want you guys to take a few minutes and think for yourself. What does gospel grace feel like? So maybe you want to look back through how we define grace. Maybe you want to look at what grace does. But what does grace feel like? Like, if you had to explain it to someone, or if you had to put legs on it, like what would you say? How does it feel? So take a couple minutes, and then I want to have a few people share. Maybe we could throw in some music or something.
Alright, take take a few more seconds. come up with so so what does gospel grace feel like like what did you guys say yeah uh, bonfire, was the best friend. bonfire the best friend why sure so you're by a fire it's warm comfortable yeah. same with the gospel right what I love bonfires. love bonfires cool yeah Sure. So just like the idea of being welcomed home, like no matter what happened, it's like you and your your family. It sounds like your family shows and models that really well. That's good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the idea of walking, it's like when a kid walks. I think Matt Chandler talks about when a kid learns to walk, it's really like a controlled fall. It's like he's not really walking. It's like it's a controlled fall on the way down. And yet the the dad and mom are like rejoicing. Like, did you see that? He just took steps. And he was like, he just fell on his face, you know? <laughs> and yet that's what grace is. It's like uh, it's a controlled fall. And yet we get back up. And God's there to pick us up. And he loves us in it. That's good. Is there any others? Yeah. Um, when the sensation of walking into the AC room and the heat outside. Sure. So just like refreshing, right? Going from like dripping sweat, humidity, I don't even know what that feels like, into cold AC. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, so like a surprising gift from a friend. And yet it's even better. That's good. Yeah, these are good. You guys can play like the what does grace feel like game. But I'd encourage you to think about it. Like, gosh, what does grace feel like? And why why do those things like help you think about it? But like you said at the beginning, the reality is the grace we get from God doesn't even come close to these things. Like it's way better. Uh, so I want to end where I've ended the last couple weeks, but back to Ephesians 2. So Ephesians 2, starting verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power there, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable 
riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is gospel grace we get. And like I said, it's way better. Better than all those things we just described. It's free, it's unmerited, we can't earn it, and yet it's costly. It costs Jesus his life. So we don't cheapen grace, we don't go to grace, um, it costs Jesus his life. That means that we still come and repent, but this is the way forward in the Christian life. And it's the only way forward. We don't walk forward in the Christian life by what we can do, only by what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going the next few weeks. Like, we're going to unpack, like, how does this gospel message, how does this gospel grace affect how we look at friends? How does it affect how we think about community? How does it affect how we view suffering? How does it affect hard things in our life? And that's where we're going to go, because this is the way forward in the Christian life. It's only through His grace. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand these realities more. That God, maybe even in the little bit of time that we could reflect and ask the question, what does grace be like? And yet, it's even better. It's better than a puppy. It's better than a hug. Uh, It's better than bubble soccer and the feeling of safe. It's better than rest that we feel after finals. And it's not even close. Your grace covers us, and it's completely unmerited. There's nothing we can do, and that's what makes it so good, and it's free. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to sit in that grace. So even as Matt Reagan would say, that we'd pull that lever and let it shower down on us. Because that's the only way in the Christian life, is we take it, we receive it, this good gift you've given us. So God, help us to drink this gospel message straight and not ever add to it. Because there's no way we can. It's only by your grace. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.